When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News. And through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community. Getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up free and distraction free as well. Giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special New Year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. Recording this episode on a Tuesday morning. I'm your host, of course. I'm joined today by Samuel Lockhurst, who was at the DW Stadium on Monday night as Manchester United won 2-0 in the third round of the FA Cup. Samuel, how are you? Well, thank you. I've warmed up after the the, the Baltic conditions in, in Wigan last night. But uh, yeah, yeah, ready to go, ready to go for another podcast. It looked absolutely freezing. And you said there was no milk in the press box. So did you... Have anything to warm yourself up with? Well, they they, they had uh, they had iced water in, ice uh, in the water. press room, which uh, seemed to be uh, t- taking it to extremes. But no, no, we were, we were more than well capable. Wigan's pretty much the the, the capital of, of pies in this country, and and, and the pies were um, were, were exceptional. So yeah, they, it's it's certainly one of the perks of of being in the the press box. You can't complain. No, saw, you can't. I saw Henry Winner tweet a picture of a pie, and I thought that does look good. It was. Um, so yeah. so fair enough. Anyways, look, it was a, a routine win in the end. Um, we're going to struggle in League One. United are struggling in the Premier League. Um, but they should still have more than enough to defeat Wigan. And they did in the end. Created plenty of chances, of course. We'll get on to the kind of wastefulness in a bit. But it was a routine and comfortable victory. Yeah, they, they played, I'm a believer, just before kickoff. But a Wigan win always seemed unbelievable. They had that one shot with the chance in... In the second minute, I think it might have been quite a good save by by Anana, and and I think for the the tide to have been interesting or watchable, that had to go in. Wigan had to take a, a shock lead, and when when United eventually scored, that goal had been coming for a while, uh, very nonchalantly taken by Dallo. Ten, as Ten Hag said afterwards, the, the the pity for them about the the game, the performance was that they just didn't score enough goals. But that's been a recurring theme this season, and we've prob- we probably have said this. Yeah, we're we're, we're, on, we're on repeat yeah. in, in in that sense. Whether United win, whether United lose, last night was only the third time all season that they've won a game by more than a one goal margin, and two of those wins have come in domestic cup competitions, which is 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 quite telling. And looking at that first half performance, they, they created host chances. The game should have been put to bed by half time. And the one goal that did go in was, was not really a chance. It was a half chance. I, I remember thinking at the time when Dallo got the ball, like, you know, we're going to need to close him down here because he's got a good strike on him. He did it at Sheffield United early in the season, took that goal very well. But they, they, they squandered some very, very, um, presentable opportunities uh, and also quite telling the those who are I suppose most guilty of that were McTominay and Rasmus Hoyland and they're the joint top scorers and it's another game last night where none of the none of the front three have have got on the score sheet um Hoyland's header the the one of the crossbar was really bad miss in particular if he heads that down that goes in because it was from such yeah. point black range, he almost did too much, I think, and he could, it was really I think powerful. Ian, Ian Wright, like my dad said, Ian Wright said something similar. Like he was talking about the technique he used in terms of heading it, 
And it's it's telling that when you look at the, the identity of the goal scorers in that game, it's another game where a defender has essentially scored the winning goal for United. I think that's happened five times this season. Dallow's got a couple, Maguire, Lindelof, um, Varane in the first game against Wolves. And the goal in the second half is is a penalty. And, and there was a bit of a drop-off in the second half, but United's advantage was, it was never in jeopardy. He never, ever got the sense that Wigan were going to force a replay there as I said their one shot came at nil-nil and it was it was when there were probably not even two minutes on the clock minus goal difference in the Premier League this season I've won 10 games in the Premier League this year and nine of those have been by just a single goal as you just said before um, the fail to win by more than three goals throughout the entirety of 10 Arg's reign so we'll look at last season I mean Rashford was scoring for fun but even last season had this problem and it's continued into this year which hasn't been a surprise at all no, it isn't. And afterwards, when we were talking about it in the, the the press room, and I think the statistics was, I think is it in in only five games out of the all of their domestic games this season um, that one of the front three has has got on the score sheet, something like that, um, which isn't a surprise. But you go back to the summer if you're spending seventy two million pounds on a potential goal scorer, and United knew he was. It was they were, it was potential they were buying. Don't be surprised if you find goals hard to come by. Uh, Rashford has been an issue this season. It was interesting the 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 relationship between the match goers and him again last night, which I'm sure we'll get on to. But they they didn't have the plan in place really for for it to have been a successful season. Hoyland had to really exceed expectations. I don't think he was ever going to do that just by virtue of his his career before he got to United and you go to United, you're playing for the most scrutinised football club in the world. The pressure is intense. The pressure is only going to get more intense as well in the running where they're, they're playing to, to win the FA Cup. That's the only trophy they can win. And of course, they're, they're going to have to strive to to get into the top four as well. So it's, it's going to become more intense and the scrutiny is going to become more intense for him. And... Their wingers, Garnacho's having a pretty good season, I think, but he's still quite young. Uh, he doesn't turn 20 until July, I think it is, and he's already he's he's already banked a hell of a lot of experience, but he is still developing. He's he's far from the finished article. So really, the the players that you're looking to as the go-to guys to be the the reliable source of goals are Rashford, who's had a really poor season, and to a lesser extent, Fernandez, who I, I suspect that break double figures for the season just by virtue that he's always he's always involved he, he, he'll you know one way or another and he's he, on penalties yeah as well, he's on penalties helps, yeah. of course which which can always um bump up the numbers but with you know, the, the last penalty they had I think would have been against Everton when Fernandez took quite a risky decision to give the penalty to Rashford because he hadn't scored in in, in nearly three months and that's not that's not opened the floodgates for him. The, the goal against Forrest was his first goal from open play um, in, in nearly four months, I think it was. And yeah, last night, as I said, there was a bit of, was, you know, there's clearly a bit of friction there um, between Rashford and, and, and the matchgoers who were, were become quite touchy with him in, in the second half. He was playing right in front of them and they, yeah, I think the sense they got was that he was overplaying it or he wasn't showing enough alacrity on the ball. And I, I messaged a few friends that I had in the away end because um, at first we thought you know United are 1-0 up here they're okay the game's not out of sight but they are coasting they're not going to throw this away it feels like and I just said oh, you know why are some play why are some sports getting on Rashford's back and all of them were in unison thinking that he deserved it one said he didn't want to be there one said he was but they used to swear word to describe his uh, performance and and somebody else said it's it's just half-hearted so um I, don't, I think with with match goers, they are especially the away followers. That's the most reliable gauge of the fan sentiment, as as Phil Lynch once infamous, infamously said uh, a couple of seasons ago. And you know, it's it's been an interesting dynamic between the supporters and Rashford this season. Um, and the fact that there was some 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 audible friction there last night in a game that United were winning and never in danger of of losing or or, or drawing. I think is 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 quite telling, but it it is it is frustrating. It's frustrating even for us to to a lesser extent that you watch United play and they like they played well last night. But you just want them to put a team to the sword, yeah, don't you? precisely, incapable of that. And I think for for them to be in a really really bullish mood going into the Tottenham game on Sunday, 
they they had to wipe the floor off Wigan last night. They had to win 4-0 or 5-0. And they've doled out a fair few 4-0 and 5-0 droppings um, against Wigan uh, yesteryear. And they really should have last night, but it was a, a pretty modest 2-0 win in the end. We'll come on to Rashford a bit more in the second part. Um, but I mean, the forwards have collectively disappointed. We were laughing on Boxing Day because I told you a few days before, you probably already knew to be fair, that the last forward to score Old Trafford was Jadon Sancho in May, of course, last season. Um, but Ganacho, ironically, I tweeted that at half time, and Ganacho came out and scored twice. So they must have shown. They I must have shown him. Your swing. Ganacho was on his phone at the break, and he went, "Yeah, I need a score now." Um, Manu's performance and Samuel Kobe Manu, fantastic. He's been yeah. exceptional all season. We said in some, I always felt like he was going to be the player to break into the first team. He was exceptional on the preseason tour and in the games before. Um, he was excellent again last night. You messaged me towards in the game when he's been the best player. I went, yeah, probably agree. Um, so composed, so cool on the ball. His passing is excellent. And we keep on saying it, but he looks like a player who's been at this level for ages, not just a few months now. Yeah, I... I, I love watching him play. I, um, I love watching him play in the handful of times I saw him in the, the Youth Cup games. And what, what was really impressive about him last night, just just when you've got the privilege of being in the press box and you, you can observe certain things, was that he was, in each half he had a, had a conversation with Ten Hag and you never got the sense that it was a manager just issuing instructions to a player and taking it on board. The conversation was was two, was two way. Uh, it was a very engaging conversation, particularly one in the second half. And three minutes after he had that conflict with um, Ten Hag, Maynou advanced as the final third. He had a decent shot. Keeper made quite a good save. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he gets into that position a few minutes after speaking to his manager. And at a time where a lot of us are weighing up the pros and cons of Ten Hag and he's been on... Not, not, not he's not been the most stable of, of positions as, as United manager. What is very much in his uh, favour is the development of Maynou and also the development of Garnacho. And those two players, they looked like the two players who could get into the first team squad from when United won the Youth Cup a couple of years ago. And it's 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 testament to the club's academy, which has been an absolute beacon in in the past decade. Where okay, things have gone wrong quite often but that's that's the beacon at United and, and that remains the case and of course I know it was only a, a cameo really from Amari Forson but that's that's the 249 Academy graduate to debut for the first team that's another positive I think going back to Mainu, I think was it his loose pass that sparked that breakaway that that's the thing Wigan is, had uh, it was recently as well where he made a mistake against West Ham when Kuda scored but the thing is he recovers from it usually and the mental toughness and resilience at that age to have a setback, but to respond to it in such a positive manner is so impressive as well. And that's a huge strength. Yeah. And what I'd say about that West Ham game was that <clears throat> although he did make the mistake that led to the, the, the contest killing goal, if you like, is that I still think that performance will be more remembered for what he did in the 78 minutes before then, because he was United's best player that day. He was, he was good on the ball. He was, when, when we watch him play well now, nobody's surprised because he went into a very testing environment at Goodison Park for his full Premier League debut and he was man of the match. He performed really well, again, in a possibly more um, testing environment where United were expected to, to lose by quite a significant margin at Liverpool and he helped United get get a point in that one. He's contributed to uh, to a comeback from 2-0 down against Aston Villa. His, his importance can be gauged by when he's not on the pitch, like against Nottingham Forest, everyone was in agreement that taking Mainu off and putting Tommy on at half time was just completely ill-advised and, and it backfired. And it's it's still, it's a strange thing to say, I suppose, for someone who had maybe about 20 odd minutes experience of Premier League football before this season, but it's still a bit of a sliding doors moment that injury he got in July because he was clearly being ready to start the season for United. It wasn't just to go into the United squad, it was, going to, it was to go into the United team. And Whenever Casemiro, Mount, um, Christian Eriksen, when, when they have all these midfielders back, the first one that goes into the team has to be Mainu. I don't, don't think anybody would, would dispute that. He's, he's, he's quality and I think the next, you know, but the, the, I suppose the next objective for United is to get him on a longer contract because uh, the one he's on at the moment, I think he's, um, he's, he's probably... He's worthy of a, of, of, of a better salary the way it's going. And the, 
like I think it's again it's testament to how well he's done in quite a short space of time that you look at him and the way he conducts himself you you look at that play and you think that's a senior guy there he there's he may be 18 and he only turns 19 in in April I think it is but everybody regards him as a senior player now and he conducts himself like a senior player we play him how he is at 18 years old is remarkable. And my friend said to me last night, well, I just can't wait to see Manu in that midfield with Casemiro and Fernandez. I mean, Casemiro was very disappointed at the start of the season, but if he can get back to the form yeah. they showed last year, alongside Manu and Fernandez, that midfield has a lot of potential, I think. Yeah, that, that could certainly see them through to have a successful run. And if, if Casemiro is able to rediscover the form of, of last season and he's, he, I, I, I think that's what will happen he'll get paired with with Mainu and if they can have a stable run in the team together then it will be fascinating to see how they perform because it was when Mainu got that injury against uh, against Real Madrid in in Houston it was he, he was playing with Casemiro and I think Fernandez was on the right and Mount was behind would it have been Rashford that night or I think it probably would have been given um given that they didn't really have a striker available at that time. So that that was what, I mean, that team that was picked that night was as strong as it got from, from Ten Hag. And it was quite, uh, I think he did have just about every every um, start he would want available to put in that in, in that side. And like, if Cobby Main, it's just a shame for Mainu that he didn't get the chance to show what he could do against Jude Bellingham, Camavinga, Germany, you know, the, the, this extremely talented Real Madrid side. We don't get carried away in this podcast, but what we're seeing is he's the best player in the world, not my Cobby Moon. <laughs> well, I think, as, as what, did, was it you said, or a co coach you spoke to said he will play for England one day? I was just struck by the confidence in that. And, yeah. and this guy knows his onions, he knows his young players. And he said to me, yeah, I'm so confident he'll play for England. And when someone says that, you do stand up and listen. And he's been proved right the last 18 months. And the, the Cobby Moon that played for the academy is the Cobby Moon who's playing now in the Premier League and the Champions League, which... It takes a lot to go from in the 21s and making a difference in those leagues to actually seeing your football. Yeah. And he's the exact same player. His, his, development, his development has been um, perfect by that injury in, in Houston, um, like just in terms of after he won the Youth Cup, he, he bulked up in the summer and I think Ten Hag coming into the club has obviously worked out really well for him. So, and, and everyone, I don't think anyone would doubt that Ten Hag was the right appointment that United made. And one of those reasons is because, and this is, as I said earlier, it's massively in his favour. It's his track record with young players. I mean, De Ligt, De Jong, Ajax, and now, now Mainu and, um, and, and Garnacho at United. Do you want to say the cliche? If you're good enough, you're old enough. And we'll leave it there for part one, Samuel. We'll be back over for part two. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast, bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format, covering topical news, online gossip, transfers, and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club, separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, we did promise to get into Rashford a bit more. I know you mentioned him in the first half. I feel like it was um, a bit of a mixed bag, Samuel, because he, he did come out with intent. He was creating chances, cutting inside, looking really positive. And I thought this is Rashford at his best. We've saw glimmers of it in the last few weeks because he's been playing on the left. But as you said, as the, as the game went on, um, he regressed and he kind of slumped in confidence, I thought. Maybe that's got a lot to do with the relationship with fans at the moment and he can kind of feel the, I guess, the, the patience running out with supporters and that's understandable, to be fair. Um, but I think that the confidence has always been an issue. We, we say he's the ultimate confidence player and I think when he's searching for that goal and it doesn't happen, he starts to just dip off a bit and you can see that his, his shoulders kind of shrink a bit, don't they? Well, that, uh, that relatively early shot that he had where Tickle did very well, not just to keep it out, um, given how close Rashford was when he hit it, but to, to get out for a corner. That was that was almost Rashford at his best. If it went in, it was Rashford at his best because he he got the ball, he he moved it quickly, shifted quickly, he engineered the opening, he struck the ball um, very very cleanly as well. And if that goes in, it's it's probably a different night for him. And I thought I thought in the first half he was he was creative. Um, there was nothing wrong with the way he conducted himself, but. As I said, it, I think what we found jarring was 
in terms of the tetchiness of the supporters with with Russia in the second half, was just that United were winning and they were never going to they were never going to throw that game away. But you can you can understand, um, especially where Rashford was playing in front of them as well in that second half, that there are different demands imposed on him to other players. I mean, the first half, Wan-Bissaka played in front of them. They're not going to get on Wan-Bissaka's back because he's not crossing the ball, because he's always turning around and shifting the ball, because they know that's what Wan-Bissaka does. He's a right back who they signed from Crystal Palace. Uh, with Rashford, there are different demands because he was born with Shaw. He came through the academy. He is the poster boy. But more relevantly, he was brilliant last season. He was in career best form last season. Then he got a new contract and his form has dropped off the edge of a cliff. And fans are not stupid. One of the reasons why he got such a steep salary rise was because his brother went to meet um, intermediaries who were um, acting on behalf of Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. And supporters don't forget those things. So when the player is not performing, there's a problem. And the, you know, the, the, the relationship between Rashford and match goes this season, it goes back as far as September. I remember during that Brighton defeat. Um, I mean, his, his body language has been a concern. And yeah. you, you think, right, come on, Marcus, kind of sort this out a bit. And it's, the, the months have progressed and it's continued, which I think is why supporters are starting to really get frustrated with him. Yeah, and, and it was definitely an issue, not even just against Brighton in September. It's an issue a couple of seasons ago under Ralph Rangnick. Um, I remember the Chelsea game was it in the April that year um, when Galatra made his debut that for me that game stands out in my memory Rashford was terrible his lack of running his work rate was disgraceful to be fair he, he, honestly he just didn't run at all and I, I remember writing a piece the next day and having a bit of a pop with him because you've got to run for the shirt it's the bare minimum especially when you're on such a high wage you're an academy graduate, graduate you're supposed to know what the club means and you really care and give your all and he didn't that day I think it was coincidentally it was it would have been two years ago in the third round against Villa which was was televised on the BBC and Rashford was particularly appalling that night and the supporters were getting on his back that night and I think um, his team at the time uh, the, the handling of Rashford has, has changed since but there were some very sympathetic briefings that that were issued and a lot of a lot of colleagues, you know, did these briefings, uh, or, or sorry, not did these briefings. They they wrote up pieces that were informed by that. Um, I think others. I mean, I, I at the time was I, I've been very critical of him already in the season. It would have looked a bit jarring had I all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> been extremely that, yeah. sympathetic towards him. I, I maintain it was it was being objective because I was just judging him on how he's performing. He was chronically underperforming, and now here we are two years later after an FA Cup third round game and there were, there was palpable discord um, from, from the supporters and as I said the Brighton game in September there were there was certainly groans of discontent with how Rashford was conducting himself um, of course was it against City there were cheers sarcastic cheers when, when he was substituted hours later he has that ill-advised party birthday party which Ten Hag said was unacceptable. So I think that would have contributed to how, how supporters are, um, are, are reacting to his performances at the moment. Newcastle was then in dear this season. He was, uh, he was so, so bad that um, Jamie Carragher said that the worst thing I can say about him is that he reminds me of Marshall. I, I, I can probably top that in a way. It, uh, the way watching Rashford this season, he actually reminds me of Theo Walcott. Because Theo Walcott, the only time he had a good spell of form for Arsenal was when he was playing for a contract. He got that contract and then he became a complete irrelevant. Do you think it's as simple as that then? Because he, he seems to have a fantastic season and drop off and then kind of come back and have a burst. Surely it'd be too simplistic, but okay, he's, he's only actually performing when he's got a bit of jeopardy, he's playing for a deal. Is he just not... Because uh, I always felt he's one step away from being world-class and to be world-class you need to produce consistent performances. And that's his problem. It doesn't produce consistency. And is that not why he's, he's, just, he's just not at that level? Although he is a brilliant player, he's, he's not quite at the upper echelons of the game. I think he has to... He, from what I've been told about Rashford, and I've, I've said this before, he, he's, not, he's another footballer, and I'm sure there are you know, plenty of them, thousands of them, who does not take criticism well. 
and Ten Hag is is going to be critical of players. He's he's not been that critical of them publicly this season. He's he's definitely softened that because it, it did go down badly with the players. I'd always be of the opinion that look. If you're Man United playing, you're telling me not to be critical when the best you can do is a League Cup and third place last season. You can you don't like off. it. Love yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Um, and that gives you an idea as to how Rashford operates. I think he has to be told how brilliant he is and that he's the main man. He's always in that position. You look at how it's start, gone for him this season. He started the season playing up front. That's not his optimum position. Then Garnacho during this, I mean, Garnacho started some like 13 or 14 games on the spin, I think. And the majority of them have been on the left. He's playing on the right now to, to accommodate Rashford. But that doesn't reflect well on Rashford either because Garnacho is playing on the right. Um, it's playing on the right in, what was it, against Villa? He played there and, and last night. They've played well. And who'd have thought it? A right footer can actually play well on the right wing. There's been this misconception in recent years that if you're a right footer, you have to play on the left foot. I've said for a while it was worth putting Ganacho on that side because if you're yeah. still so young, right footed, put balls in the box and play Rashford on the left. But at Newcastle, it was Rashford on the right and Garnacho on the left. He sold, didn't he? That's yeah. what he did, he sold. Yeah, and Rashford, his, his, his stock has not improved much since, but his stock was so low going into that Newcastle game that the consensus pre-match was that Anthony should start ahead of him. That's how bad he was at that time and he's not improved a great deal since. And since then, there were definitely a minority of booed him when he came on against Chelsea. He got a deserved standing ovation when he came off against Villa because it was electric that at times in that comeback. And then you've got last night where it was just frivolous far too often in the second half. And there was one time where um, he got into the area, he held onto the ball for an inexplicable amount of time. He was doing this, doing that, and he takes it over the goal line. It's a goal kick. And immediately you think of, Hoyland's disallowed goal against Brighton on his first Premier League start where Rashford needlessly took the ball out and if he didn't and he gets the ball in and Hoyland scores it's a legitimate goal Hoyland one has got a goal on his born Premier League debut and also United have made it 1-1 against Brighton that's that's a big slide indoors moment if, if Rashford's not overindulging um you know, looking ahead to obviously we'll, we'll talk more about Spurs on on Friday, but I, I still suspect Rashford will start that game against Tottenham uh, just by virtue that Anthony is Anthony. Um, who who else are you going to play really? I mean, Fakunda Palestri is not going to start. Ahmad is not going to start. So he's not actually got that much competition at the moment. Whereas four years sorry not four years ago two years ago there was Sancho who. Ralph Rangnick quite liked. There was Anthony Alanga, who was essentially Ralph Rangnick's academy legacy. So there were a couple of players ahead of him at that time, and, and he was dreadful that season. But he's it's it's a worry that, as I said, two years ago, FA Cup third round, the, the supporters are getting on his back and Rashford has got three goals at the time. Here we are. Supporters are getting on his back and Rashford has got three goals this season. And yeah, I've still saw a lot of supporters saying, right, come on, let's just get behind him. Academy graduate, as you said, poster boy. He really needs our support right now. He is dividing opinion. There's a lot of people that were getting sick of him and I understand that as well. Long term, is there an argument to say, should he be sold? Should he be moved on? Because there is that kind of conversation growing now and we should probably address it. Because although he has been fantastic and he is, as we see, the poster boy, I'm just looking at almost 400 senior appearances, 384. 126 goals and 74 assists. And that's still an excellent record. Yeah. But it is so frustrating how he has these in and out seasons. Is there a case maybe down the line to, to sell him? Because I couldn't see it this summer. This summer coming up? Yeah. Uh, it would be, it would I be think, an I incredibly think, bold, bold uh, big statement as well. But I think sometimes uh, one of the best seasons during Ferguson's time was when Mark Hughes, Paul Ince and Andrew Konchelskis were sold in one summer and United didn't sign anyone. I mean, if, if that had happened in this day, Did you imagine the meltdown? We'd be sitting on the yeah, podcast. The, the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the internet would probably have, have collapsed that day. But sometimes you've got to make decisions like that. And I, I do think there is a case for it. And I think there would be quite a fair bit of support for it among uh, the, the match goers. I, I maintain like when when we heard the um, the, the, the groans or the um, I don't know how you describe it. It was almost like they're saying, "Come on, you know, come on, what what are you doing with the ball?" That that was what the sense we were getting. It, it did feel jarring at the time, just because United one nil up. They'd 
absolutely dominated Wigan uh, in the first half. And they, although it was only 1-0, they were coasting. Because it's, it's Wigan and it's Marcus, Marcus Rashford. You, just, you want him to score a few against Wigan. Don't and you? I, completely, I completely agree with uh, the, the supporters' outlook on that. I think that there's, um, you know, I, I see the point for, from both sides. But really, I think Rashford's, I just think that with a lot of the match goes, his his card is marked just because they will look at the way he went about his work last season, the contract he got, the way he's gone about his work this season. And I hadn't thought until we were discussing it, but the regression from, um, you know, he, he's in the same position he was in. Two, he was He's in literally the same position he was in two years ago in that he's got three goals this season as he did that season. And he's just had an FA Cup third round performance where the supporters again on his back. So, so next season he'll score 30 goals and it'll all be well, that, happy, happy as Larry. That, that would be ideal, yeah. If United can win a trophy next season with him getting 30 goals, I think uh, everyone, everyone will be pleased there. I was going to ask you about Highlands for a uh, bad finishing. He missed a few chances. We talked about the header in the first part. I guess we've already said it all. Have we not this season? I think we have. So we don't really need to get into Highland. With the, as, you, as you say, we said it's chapter and verse. I think um, the, the only thing I'd say about to add on him is that I, I always thought it was a bit of a myth that he doesn't get service. And I, I could probably count close to a dozen opportunities he's had this season where you look at that and you think he should score that or the, or, or the striker should be disappointed not to score that. You think of, I think there were maybe two against Palace, three against Sheffield United, the one on one against City, a couple against Luton. Luton was Liverpool. The Luton was the moment for me that I yeah. thought, right, you've got to do better. Because up until then, I thought, yeah, he had service in the Champions League, but I think the chances has been scarce in the Premier League. But that game, he needed to, to do better. And from there, it has been quite poor. And you can only defend the player so much. He is still young and we're not uh, criticising him heavily for that reason because we know exactly what we're getting with Highland Dunk. Mm. Yeah. And none of us are surprised yeah. by it we, you know and, and United weren't it's not like they they thought they were buying someone who was going to be prolific uh, he was described as a rough diamond by, by someone quite senior at the club and they were talking about like again I've said this before I'm sure but they were talking about he might not play some games and Marcus Rashford would start up front so they're not even they weren't even mentioning Anthony Marshall because he was that much of an afterthought but they were mentioning Rashford as if he was a reliable centre forward so again the, the planning with the whole striker situation was was poor they needed someone proven they didn't get someone proven and the chances are it will cost them in terms of Champions League qualification for next season but if we had a time machine we could fast forward three years and Hoyland could be the top goalscorer in the Premier League so have you got one of those? Well, he, 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 he could be, but unfortunately you are, you are judged on what you're, yeah. on, on what you're doing. Gino De Campo once said, if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. Very good quote. I've always liked that one. Um, Anana, Samuel, I've always worth mentioning him because how bad must Altai B and there be if he's not getting a game in that match? Obviously, the club and Anana, to be fair, it has been mutual. Um, he's deferred his kind of call-up to the African Cup of Nations with Cameroon. But, but he made an excellent first save in the first few minutes, we've said that. But apart from that, he had nothing to do. I, I'm not convinced that Bintia couldn't have filled in that game. And obviously, Tottenham's coming up. They're in talks still, Tenog said, um, to have Anana for that match. That's a more important game. Um, Which is 24 hours before yeah, Cameroon's first AFCON it's game. But it's been a bit of a bizarre... For me, it's a bit bizarre because yeah. what message does that send to the, the back of goalkeeper and the rest of the squad? It's bizarre in the sense that it's not like Anana's been really good this season or they should be moving heaven and earth to keep him. It's You look at Liverpool two years ago, um, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah both went off to, to AFCON and I don't think Liverpool were moving heaven and earth to try and keep them. They just you know accepted that it's, it's one, one two games. they're, they're going to yeah, go off extra. and it's it's really important for their countries and I think both I think it was an Egypt Sevilla final as well that year so they both you know they both played as many games as possible which was even more uh, damaging for Liverpool but that was a season where Liverpool um, going into May uh, a quadruple was was still on because Liverpool can they can cope with those those squad issues but with Anana he he cost United more than any other player in the Champions League. Okay, I suppose in the Premier League, he's not made as many mistakes, but 
all I can think of in terms of United's discussions with the, the with with Cameroon um, in terms of keeping him is that it was the Tottenham game they wanted to keep him for, and of course Wigan is coming before that. You can imagine the commotion that would go on if Cameroon had agreed for Anala to stay for that Tottenham game, and then he doesn't play in a game in the FA Cup when he could be he could be training with Cameroon in preparation for their first. AFCON game next week so I suspect if the, if the fixtures were switched around it'd have, you know, it, it, they'd say look can we play him can we have him for the Tottenham game yeah no problem and then he goes off straight away whereas you know because the, the fixtures are, are the way they are they can't not play him against Wigan but I'd have just been of the opinion that you know his last game's Forest off you go, and we've we've got to put Bayender again in against Wigan. Let's see how he is. Is it four point five million the same game for? Yeah, I, I think, think so. You. Something like that. I mean, squad management, keeping players right, motivating them. What message is that sending to him? And surely, I know he is. He's signed to be a backup goalkeeper, and he understands that. But is his head not thinking right? I want out now because I'm not even getting a chance in the cup competitions. If you if you're pushing so hard to keep an eye, I just don't think that's very good luck. No, it, it, I don't think it reflects well on um, on, on United's decision to sign Bayender and, and Bayender himself. No, none, none of us know just if, he's any, if he's any If that was your plan, if you were just going to continue. I know for injuries and stuff, you do need a backup goalkeeper, but it's frustrating, I think, for the backup goalkeeper. Yeah, well, uh, you go back to the, the League Cup game against Crystal Palace and I think there was an element of surprise that Bayender wasn't starting in that game and... I think Ten Hag suggested afterwards that because Nana had made his mistake against Bayern the previous week, it was a case of keeping him in the team, giving him that regular um, regular matches so that he his confidence wasn't hit, even though all you had to do was say, look, it's League Cup, I'm rotating a bit, backup goalkeeper's going in, you're getting the night off, you're back in goal on Saturday against Palace in the league game. I don't think that would have been complicated, but... I think I think the way Ten Hag has presided over the goalkeeping situation at times it has been complicated. Last season, I remember when when Jack Butland came in and there was some confusion as to who was the number two. And Ten Hag said, "I don't have a number two. It's just two backup keepers." And then you had Jack Butland on the bench for the FA Cup final, and I just thought that was because he'd been on the bench for a number of games in succession. I thought, where's the methodology there? Because the chances are Tom Heaton's got a better penalty record. And if it had got to a shootout, you would have to have had, you'd have had to have considered bringing Heaton on if at all possible because David De Gea was, the, was the goalkeeper and has not got the, the best record in in, um, in shootouts. And he conceded that, that Brighton shootout. It was only settled because Solly March uh, put one over the crossbar. So as I said, it's you know, I think United have made a mountain out of the molehill with with Anana. They should have just allowed him to go and look, okay, they're gonna come up against some very good forwards in, in, in Tottenham on, on Sunday, but it was an opportunity to give Bayern Deer a run out against Wigan, assess how he got on. If he looked like a, a bag of nerves, then put Tom Heaton in, who okay, he's, he's thirty what is he, thirty eight, I think, or something thirty seven, thirty eight. Um but he's got experience and he'll have played against Tottenham countless times and he'll have played against those those players, the majority of those players in the Tottenham team as well. So as I said, I think they they just made a, a melting out of a molehill, but Anana did make a, a good and important save last night, the one time he was called upon. I mean, even Martin Dubravka got played was it twice in the early rounds of the Carabao Cup. Yeah. United obviously crashed out in the, the first game against Newcastle, um, but Anana started that match. I guess because it was against a, a better Premier League side, maybe I don't know what. Tenor yeah, but, but then again, as you said, he the, the, in the League Cup last season, um, the, the first game United played was against Aston Villa, and he he did take he took De Gea out of the team and he put Dubravka in, and Dubravka started against Burnley in the next round, um, and he I think they were his two appearances for United, and he he was he looked extremely unconvincing and that was the last we saw of him but he got a cup, cup winner's he medal kept, which was a quick he kept very kept very quiet about that he, he left a good period of, of time while it only came out recently the yes yeah, he's, yeah his stock has gone up a little bit for Newcastle fans so he, he clearly thought that was a good time to uh, to come out with it
There's a few uh, absentees, obviously, last night. I mean, Ahmad and Ericsson out with illness. To be fair, there has been a lot of that this season, but when I listened to Tenag, you might have picked up on it as well after the game. I thought Tenag sounded loaded with a cold. So maybe, look, it is normal. It happens around the world. Well, he, he did have, um, just before his press conference started, he did have quite a long swig of water, um, which I don't think he normally does. Don't call that for a piece of that, Samuel. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think people are probably, well, yeah. Um, can they win the FA Cup this season then, just to end this part? As Samuel takes his sip of water, ironically. Yeah, that's, that's not me dwelling on the, <laughs> on the question. Uh, yeah, they can because, look, I think they've got as good a... They've got anything close as, as close to a buy as possible with the, the draw East, East around Newport, yeah. or, or, or Newport. That's a non-league side or a, or a League Two side. City are away at Tottenham, as that means another one of the the big hitters. Chelsea gas eliminated. Well, I, think. Right I, I don't know. The, the Wi-Fi was so bad last night. I'm not sure. I think there was some favourable draws. Uh, Liverpool at home to Norwich or um, Bristol Bristol Rovers. Is it? I think. Uh, Richard Jolly was yeah, Chelsea got away last, so that's well, two big guns. Yeah. Got so again. you've got Chelsea paired with Villa and Tottenham paired with City, so that's at least two relative big hitters. I hesitate to call Chelsea a big hitter given the, the way they've gone about. Um, but it's cup football, isn't it? Yeah, but anything absolutely. That in yeah, and and of course Chelsea are in the as, as not wishing to uh, give you give you a painful reminder, but Chelsea are in the semi-finals of of the League Cup, so. It's um yeah it's all on the cups for them this season. That's that's the deliverance on offer for for Mauricio Pochettino, but United are all but certain to be in the last sixteen. And yeah, I I, I don't see any, any reason why not. And where the calendar is not going to be as crammed for them, more players are going to come back. They'll have more uh, strength in depth. I think if, if you know, I, I'm looking at the Newport. Eastley score at the weekend. I think Eastley Eastley were down to ten men, but they scored an eighty-second minute penalty. And you, what a huge, huge moment that could be for them if they end up hosting. I think they're eleven from the conference. That's the national league now. It's called, but that's incredible. If they can beat Newport, what a draw that is for Eastley to have United. Down it's, it's going to be one of the most. Coast. It's going to be one of the most competitive uh, replays in in recent years. I think just because they'll all be resting players up to the lead up. And, and and also, I think what those two clubs should have. Um, should have worked out by now is that the team that United play um, in, in the fourth round is going to be a pretty strong one because they won't have played for a long time and um, they're going to want a decent match with them going into the Wolves game which will be what four or five days later um, going off educated guesswork because obviously nobody knows the dates of, of the fourth round yet so yeah it's not like United are going to be pulling into town with Joe Hugel, Dan Gore, um, Amari Forson, Reese Bennett and Chola Shorts here in the starting eleven. It will be probably a similar team to the one that started at Wigan. Forgive me geography, but I had to search where Eastley was. I knew it was down south. Ah, see, I didn't know where I, it was. I didn't realise it was that far down. It's basically in France. So, <laughs> so, so for, for as, as far as United fans are concerned. It's Simon Peach's manner. Yeah, I think he. I when the draw was made... Um, yeah, I wasn't best pleased when I was told uh, that it was Newport or Eastleigh away just for the, the sheer mileage that's going to be clocked up. Although, fortunately, it's not going to be my turn to drive on on that one. But I think we could have a, a fun bus scheduled for, for, for that trip, given that I think a few of us are going to be told to go down there. But but Simon Peach is... Um, His neck of the woods. Yes, exactly. He, he grew up not far from there. We'll leave it there for part two. We'll be back in the middle for part three. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News. And through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community. Getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up free and distraction free as well. Giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special New Year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm Samuel. We'll have a bit of transfer chat briefly and look ahead to Tottenham. But as you say, we'll be back later in the week. So we'll save the majority of the chat for that. Um, Tenog said they would look in the market for a loan striker um, or he would be open to it anyways, I think was the, the quote. Um, that's not surprising, as you said, was it on the other day and the podcast that signed a lot of loan players with Tenog in charge. 
Um, but who could they sign? That's the thing. You look at the market, you look at the strikers available. There seems to be a real dearth of, of forwards that are actually around. He's, he said... Um, we can't have World Wide Boss come back, can we? No, we cannot. No. Regardless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, said, uh, he said we consider everything, which is obviously a very expansive answer. And I, I, the, the way United are talking about it, they still say that it's unlikely that there'll be an incoming. But then again, as I've stressed before, they said that incomings were unlikely going into the final week of the summer transfer window and they ended up signing four players on, on deadline day. I, I still think that there would have to be, you know, a few more flies would have to drop for United to say, right, we need to dip into the loan market here. Um, it was a very callow bench last night, but Ten Hag did say that there could be a few returns for the game on the game on Sunday. Uh, he said that Luke Shaw was a potential um, return. Christian Eriksen, Harry Maguire, he said it was a maybe. Uh, but look, where this month, I mean, they've only got two more games this month, um, which will be Spurs on Sunday and then Eastleigh or, or Newport County in the final weekend of January. So as far as this month goes, there's not a great deal of pressure on them to get players in for immediate use. And then the way they're talking about it with some of the injured players coming back. And I know he said on Thursday, that Casemiro and, and Miss Martinez were still weeks away. Going off that, the the date that United have got circling the calendar for them to come back um, to make their plan come back is Eastleigh or, or Newport, which would be pretty much three weeks. I mean, I, I was even conference. thinking February the first. To be honest, when I was looking at it, it, it seems to take them a while once they're actually on grass and doing light training to actually be in, in contention to start. Yeah, um, and I think everybody... I'm not been on grass for only eight weeks, nine weeks, I think. Before yes, he was, yeah. And um, it's been the case, uh, I think it was Cobby Main who was the one who, obviously they were very, very careful yeah. and um, uh, fastidious with his, his comeback because he was, as you said, he was on the grass in probably late September or early October, but he didn't play for the first team until, uh, until late November, it would have been against Everton. And okay, yeah, this easily Newport or Newport game that's coming up. I suspect some some long term absentees will be back in the squad for that game, uh, and that eases things. February is a hugely important month because they've got five Premier League fixtures, and two of them are against teams that are currently above them in the table at the moment. So they've they've you know they've got to be the squad state going into February has got to be a hell of a lot better than it is at the moment. The only area where they would have to, I, I still think that they, they should be getting uh, a player in for that position, but that's that's my opinion, and I'm sure it's the opinion of others, is obviously up front, because they, they need a different... Ireland um, needs help, doesn't they, it? Yeah, they, they need help. a different source of goals, but they are, you know, they're, they're impeded, frankly, by, by Anthony Marshall at the moment. He's been unwell for, for four weeks. In the summer, he was injured for almost the entirety of it, so they couldn't sell him. In the winter transfer window, he's been unwell for all of it so far, so they can't sell it. Do you know, I think it's typical that for the first time in living memory, uh, Martial hasn't had any fitness problems all season. He's actually been available quite a bit, to be fair to him. And it comes around to the January transfer window. And he's I know, so I know, and, and maybe look, maybe there'll be some context that's yeah, provided. Nothing's been provided that, yeah, through the, this illness. Yeah, it could be something a bit more serious. It, exactly, and and sometimes one one is you know, hesitant to yeah. be too harsh, but it, it's still speaking at the moment it's still not a good look but whether any context is, is provided on that remains to be seen um, so yeah, I, th I think things would have to still you know, change a, a fair bit for United to have a compelling case where they think okay we need to make a loan sign I mean you, you look at the players who came in last, last January on loan all three were enforced and Bravka was recalled and very quickly they got Butland in uh, Ericsson was injured by Andy Carroll in the, the, the FA Cup game against Reading and they only had a, two or three days uh, to get um, to be fair, in. and in fairness I think they did with, really well to get they did. Bits in so quickly they did and they didn't have that much time as well even because um, because they had to have the scan on Ericsson and you know, await the results for that and then go into the loan market and, and Sabitzer was a decent signing yeah. uh, like he did a, he did a decent job for United and uh, I remember being, when I was told at the time that they were in for him, I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's actually, having watched him for, for Leipzig and if, if Bayern Munich sign a player, they don't tend to sign many duffers. I think that United 
did well with that one. And of course, Veghorst came in because Ronaldo had gone. They got that wrong. <laughs> what a statement that is. Yes. <laughs> they got that wrong. Uh, they got that very wrong. And, and in fairness to, to Veghorst, he, he was overexposed just through, um, through Marshall's bristleness. Like Veghorst started so many games on, on the spin when he first went in. I, I, honestly, know, I so. forgot how many games he actually started. Yeah. So recently, I was like, bloody hell. I know. I know. It was, I think, again, again like, PTSD like, from that time, watching like, Weghorst. Like, like, like Rashford earlier in the season and how it's been his, his seasonal Nadir at Newcastle. I think Newcastle was the Nadir for Weghorst as well. He, he might have only started one game after that. Um, at West Ham, his, his card was, was well and truly marked after that day because he, he wasn't good enough. He, like, as I said before, his, his commitment wasn't in question. He tried, but when it comes to actually scoring goals, he's, he, he has, he has not been good at it. So you were five aside, isn't he? Pardon? Is that you were five aside when it comes to scoring goals? Or, or you that time. <laughs> I, I think that you had that miss one time and I actually just burst out laughing because you had, you'd been so, uh, so profligate that evening. But <laughs> high, yeah, high, high XG though. My, 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 fi my, my finishing is, is definitely worse, undoubtedly. Uh, top four hopes then I mean the game against Tottenham already seems quite important for that I know it's only January but Tottenham fifth in the table um, eight points ahead of United obviously Aston Villa flyed in second as well Sydney and Arsenal uh, fill in the remainder positions of Liverpool um, I mean to get to the FA Cup final now and to get top four from the first six months of the season the first half of the season that would be fantastic yeah, yeah it would be quite the um, quite the turnaround turnaround escape act rescue act whatever you want to call it and their month is going to be defined by this Tottenham game. It's not going to be defined by Wigan away or Newport or Eastley away. It all hinges on the Spurs game. And that is, I, I'd, I'd say every game is a must-win game for, for United, but that, they, that is of particular consequence. I mean, Tottenham are seven points clear of United in the table. The thought of Tottenham stretching that advantage to 10 points ahead of United, and then United don't have a Premier League game again until February the 1st I think it is against Wolves that would be that, that would be a really significant blow if they were to to not win that game at the weekend I, I really think they've, that they have to win it uh, they have to have a real fillet going into those February fixtures where I think is it West Ham at home Villa away Luton away I think they end the month with uh, at home against Fulham there might be an FA Cup game in there now instead of um You've done very well there. I didn't give you much help because I was, I was trying to get it up. Wolves away, West Ham at home, Aston Villa away, Luton away, and yeah, end the month with Fulham at home. Yeah. So, so and then it's City after that. It's City at the start of March. So it's a, a key run of fixtures. So. Exactly. So they, I mean, just look at those February fixtures and I could go back to, to last season that they had eight games in 26 days in February and they did phenomenally well to win six, draw two, end of the month, still in the top four and quite a way ahead in, in third place. In fact, uh, they knocked Barcelona out in the Europa League playoff. Uh, they, they won their cup final against Newcastle. It was a near perfect month, but it was a month. It, in retrospect, it's like, like an international team gearing up for a tournament and just being so switched on, so focused, uh, so bullish, so professional in the way they went about their job and getting the job done and, and doing what was needed. And it, it's probably not a surprise there, there was a gradual decline last season after that peak of, of winning the League Cup in, in, in late February and United you know, grit, grit prevailed over goal I'd say in the, the final months of, of that season but it was still, it was still undeniably a, a successful season but they, they need a similar mentality going into, Feb into next February as well this February coming up I should say We'll leave it there then for today's podcast. Samuel, thank you very much for your Thank time. you, Stephen, as always. And thanks to listeners as usual. Uh, just a quick note that Tyrone and Rich Fay, Tyrone Marshall and Rich Fay, will return uh, for a new edition of the Manchester's Red podcast. Um, they'll be getting into transfers, gossip, news, etc., and everything in between. And me and Samuel will be back on Friday in our usual slot. So now it's said, have a great week and we'll see you there.